Um, again, just like I said, we, we're going to take some time on Saturday just to meet together. We won't keep you long. We just really want to take some time to, to seek God. I'm a firm believer in ye have not because ye ask not. And if we want God to do something in our lives, in the life of our church, in the life of the community, we got to ask him. we got to seek him. And we want to definitely uh, do that. And I want to take a moment and just I'm glad I have Micah's parents with us and, and his sister Sarah. Got Dr. Farmer here and Mrs. Farmer and got Sarah right there with us. And, and I appreciate them coming down and, and being with us today. Uh, we, Doc and I have known each other for a little while. And uh, I actually got to, he was actually trusting me because his oldest daughter, Jill, played basketball on my team. And I was probably, Doc, about 23 years old at the time and didn't know much, still don't know much. But he let, you know, I coached his daughter for a lot of years. And and have opportunity in the school to teach teach their kids, so he can blame anything on me uh, there for that part of it. But I enjoy their family, love their family, they love the Lord, and appreciate them being here. And uh, you get a chance, you welcome them and, and thank them for being here. If you want to find out anything about Micah, just talk to Mrs. Farmer. She'll probably give you everything you need to know uh, with that. Well, a couple of you really saw the opportunity. Okay, good. All right. Well, this morning, we're going to continue looking as we've been studying the book of Acts. And we've been studying Acts for, I know, for a few months now, looking at the, not just Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And, and when you read uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see the Acts of Christ in his physical body as he's here on earth. And we've been studying uh, the book of Acts, and we always go to it each week. The theme verse, if you will, the, uh, the thesis, if you may say it like that, in the whole book of Acts is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power. It's just Christ speaking to his disciples. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Why? Because you're going to be witnesses unto me, both what? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And by the way, I thank God for that verse. Because if the disciples, those men and women that follow Christ after Christ left, if they did not do sharing and being witnesses, the uttermost parts of the earth are you and I. We're that part. We're not living in Jerusalem today. So we're the ones that the gospel has been brought to. And, and we've been looking at God. He's, he kind of started the church, started developing the church here in the book of Acts, if you will. And uh, as we look at this, we've seen in chapter 2, you had to love that, how Pentecost, and you saw thousands of people saved. And, and as you go on, we see more people are saved during this time. And we've seen a lot of great things in Scripture. And we've seen some things that really kind of break your heart, you know, in studying and seeing how thousands of people were saved and how people have been healed. But we've also seen how the gospel is something that everybody accepts. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, one of the hard things in studying the life of these apostles is this. You can't make people love Jesus. Can't make people love Jesus. And we saw how the gospel was presented in certain places and people were saved. And we saw how the gospel was presented and they ran them out of town. In fact, one passage says that the apostles uh, shook off the dust off their sandals and went to the next town. And one town, it says, they stoned Paul for preaching the gospel, left him as dead. And as we looked at and tried to encourage us all that spiritually, when you feel dead, when you feel like there's no way to keep going, just as God gave the apostle Paul strength, we've got to rise up and keep going because let everything that hath breath, what? Praise the Lord, you know, whatever you're facing. And we started looking at some things in chapter 15. And in chapter 15, you have kind of what they call the Jerusalem Council we looked at last week where... They have heard about Paul and Barnabas and, and seeing these Gentiles get saved, these non-Jews get saved, and, and they started getting kind of upset, some of these people saying, well, don't the Gentiles have to conform to our rituals? Don't they have to live like a Jew in order to be saved? And, 
and I love the platform it gives. You, by the way, you talk about a, you want to go to a preacher's conference. I mean, who stood up and presented the gospel when they said, hey, you've got to live like a Jew in order to be saved. You got what Peter stood up and stands up and renounces that. Paul and Barnabas stand up and renounce it. And James, the brother of Jesus, stands up and renounces it. And I'm thinking, by the end of that, those guys ought to realize they were on the wrong side. They should have jumped on those guys' side. But realizing that we are saved by what? By faith and grace in Jesus Christ alone. And just for a moment here, I, I want to encourage you with something. Coming to church today is not going to bring you any closer to heaven. I want to love you enough, lean in on you enough to say, just because you got a Bible in your lap, you look good, smell good, you're in the right place, so to speak, does not mean you're any closer to heaven. You are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. It's not of works of righteousness. Uh, less why? We would boast. We would boast. And there's a lot of people that will sing that we are saved by grace, but we live in such a way that we're just checking boxes. This is going to get me to heaven. This is going to get me to heaven. I'm so thankful, as it says in the book of John, where Jesus says, I am my father are one, and no man shall pluck them from my father's hand. That we are doubly secure, if you want to say it like that, in the hand of God the Father and the hand of God the Son. But we've seen this, and, and we looked at chapter 15 last week about how yeah, we need to learn how to fellowship with those that don't necessarily believe like us. And not saying those that don't believe in salvation, but the Jews said, okay, if the Gentiles are saved by faith in Christ, how can we fellowship one with another? And we looked at the idea of understanding is that whenever you fellowship with someone who has different preferences than you, then you are spiritual, what should you do? You should be willing to lay down your rights in order to fellowship and encourage people for the cause of Christ. Not sacrifice doctrine. But you know, not all everybody in here has the same beliefs, convictions. You know, I, we joked a little bit about, I remember when uh, I was a kid, um, when my parents got saved and started going to church, you know, we grew up, movies was no big thing. But I remember when we first started going to church, we found out pretty quickly that some people had the tendency they didn't like movies, they didn't like TV, and that was all of it. And I kind of told you about my dad loved shooting pool, and so he bought a pool table. Actually, so I had number seven right there on the side of it. He bought it out of a pool hall, and I remember people coming into our home after we got saved going, whoo, you know, thou demon, you know, we got the thing in your house right there. And I remember a lot of people was like, we can't fellowship with you in that. But I am so thankful to God because there were people that may have different views on things like us. Not, not, not gospel now. Gospel is different. But say, we're going to love on these people. We're going to help these people. We're going to show them, walk hand in hand with these people in the way to Christ. But I want to show you something before we get into chapter 16, which I love chapter 16. It's such a wonderful thing. I think every person in this room, if you're saved, is part of chapter 16. And I'm not going to take time on this, but just God, through different events through the week this week, Paul and Barnabas, God has also obviously helped them. They're going to go out and keep sharing the gospel. And Paul and Barnabas, at the end of chapter number 15, have to separate. Paul and Barnabas get to a point where they can't agree. And they get to the point where they're not just disagreeing a little bit. There's a lot of contention, and they finally separate. I joke it's like a good Baptist church. You can love each other for so long, but two people are going to get mad. They're going to split and start another one or something like that. But you know what? Isn't it sad in a sense, and I'm not going to take time on this part of the message today. It's not the main point. But it's sad for us to fail to realize sometimes when God gives us great victories like he gave them at that Jerusalem council, how sometimes we can let the little things divide us. Paul and Barnabas, I, I, I'm going to take a moment just to read it in verse 36 of chapter 15. It says, In some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city which where we have preached and, and the word of the Lord and see how they do. In verse 37, here's the problem. And Barnabas determined to take with them John 
whose surname is Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them in Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention, get this, was so sharp between them, who Paul and Barnabas, that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren and to the grace of God. And, and to understand this part right here, I, I mean, there's not a lot of teaching on this because we like to make everybody look good, right, all the time. But Barnabas says, hey, God's blessed. Hey, let's go and let's go revisit these churches that we've been a part of. And Paul's like, great. And Barnabas says, I want, I want to take my nephew. I want to take Mark with us again. By the way, whom we have the gospel of Mark, just to give you an understanding, the Mark we're talking about. But there's something about Mark that Paul couldn't get over. See, at one, one time in this city of Pamphylia they were at, Barnabas and Paul and Mark were together, and the persecution got so great that Mark left them, like deserted them. Now, before you throw too many rocks at them, if we understand persecution in Acts, we probably would have not even went to the town, much less endured the persecution. And Paul's like, no, I ain't taking him. I'm not going to take somebody that's left us. Now, if you know about Barnabas, he's the son of what? Consolation. He's, a, he's the man who always wants to what? Encourage, 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 encourage. But Paul said, mm -mm, can't have it. And it says it was so sharp between these two men of God that God had done great things for them. Thousands of people being saved, Gentiles and Jews. God had done so many great things that you know what? They separate. I truly believe, as you would read later on, and it's a little philology, but I do believe this. I do believe there's a reconciliation later between Barnabas and Paul. I don't know if it ever got back to quite where it was at one time. I mean, you imagine that tag team, Paul and Barnabas, rolling into town preaching. But it never quite got back. And you say, Phil, what's the point of this? The point is this, is that I'm so thankful to God for the reconciliation that can be done through Christ with brothers and sisters in Christ. But can I tell you the things that you are willing to dead set it is the thing to build the mountain on which you're going to die on. Be sure it's important enough because things that were estranged may never, ever get back to where they were. Now, I'm not saying Paul was right. I ain't saying Barnabas is right. I am no person to say that. But I do find it very interesting after this great victory, here you got guys separating over who they're going to take with them or not take with them in those things. And let me encourage you this morning, if you get nothing else out of the message is this. There's a lot of things in life that we'll separate from other brothers and sisters in Christ over. And let's just be honest, a lot of times it's very menial. It's not very great. We get our feelings hurt very easily. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, we get hurt and what happens? Yeah, there's that open door, hopefully, for reconciliation. Let's just be honest, a lot of times it's never quite what it was to begin with. And so anyways, I just wanted, I didn't want to omit that. I just kind of wanted to share that. Um, and just want to encourage you, make the main thing the main thing in your life. And be careful on the hill from the hill to die on. Make else in the faith. Um, I know in my life, I, I, I tell you, it, me. it doesn't sadden me necessarily for people to come to our church and leave our church. I know Emmanuel's not for everyone. I get that. I always pray for people that are looking to join our church or visiting our church. I honestly pray this. I don't pray that God sends you to our church. That would be greedy. That would be selfish. I pray that God leads you to wherever he wants you to be because it is better to be in the will of God than sitting here if, you're not, if this is not God's will for you, that you find the will of God and you do the will of God. 
But can I tell you what breaks my heart is to see people walk through these doors over the years and leave these doors over things that were, let's just, ready for a good feel spiritual word? Stupid. And haven't we all been a part of that? We won't take time to testify or raise hands. But if we're not careful, haven't we left over some stupid things that it'd be very hard to ever fellowship again with certain brothers and sisters in Christ? And like I said, that's for free. That's not the message. But God just wouldn't let me run away from that, you know? I even tried telling God. I've studied, looked at commentaries. Ain't nobody talking about this, God, so I don't need to talk about this, okay? But God's like, you know what? It's important to understand because here's the key. Unity in a church is a beautiful thing. It's a gift, though, not a right. It's a gift that you have to continually try to uplift and try to do. So, anyways, we got through that. That was for free. We keep going on, okay? All right. Micah's preaching tonight, so I'm going to take all the time I got through tonight, okay? All right. We're excited about him uh, preaching tonight. But anyhow, um, so you come to chapter 16, and, and by the way, it's awesome to understand this, is that when something happens and you feel that hole in your life, that God supplies, because we're not going to take time to read it, but the first couple of verses of chapter 16, Paul loses Barnabas in his life. What does God give him? Timothy. He meets Timothy. And starting in chapter 16, you start to see the discipleship that the apostle Paul gets to Timothy. And by the way, when you feel abandoned in your life and feel like God's taken something from you, the wonderful thing to do is just keep being faithful to God because God's going to replenish it with something else for such a time as this that we study about in the book of Esther, and he gives him Timothy. And you know by reading the books of First and Second Timothy, Paul had great joy in seeing Timothy grow in the faith and, and do those things. And in verses 6 on down through uh, verse number 10, Paul had a certain plan. That's wonderful how God opens doors. And, and, and the door he opens is what is called the Macedonia call. If you read in chapter uh, 16, this verse is right there in verse 6. It says Paul basically had an idea of where he was going to go, where he was going to minister. And, and basically the vision said, no, you ain't doing that. This is the door I want you to walk through. And, and he goes to, instead of going to where he wanted to go, he goes to the city of Philippi. By the way, if you know in Scripture and you're familiar with your Bible, don't you love the book of Philippians? You wouldn't have it if Paul didn't listen to God. You wouldn't have Philippians if Paul didn't walk through God's open door. And I tell you, in your life sometimes, and I know we're going to get into Scripture here. I'm not just going to talk the whole time. But I want you to understand is that in our lives sometimes, when it feels like God slams a door right in your face, keep being faithful. He'll open another. And, and he'll do these things. And, and we see it here. And, and so any of the vision. But what I want us to look at is this. And our topic today is this. Our title, if you would, is that Jesus loves broken people is that Jesus loves broken people. We're going to see three conversions, if you would, in this book of Acts here just for a moment, how Jesus loves broken people. And you're like, Phil, I'm not broken. I'm in church. I look good. I've been faithful in that. Can I tell you, everybody in this room is broken. You were broken before you come to Christ, and because of still living in this sinful flesh, we're still broken in need of Christ continually in our life. But I want us to kind of look at the idea today that Jesus loves broken people. And let's look at the first one here. Let's uh, look in verses number 13, if you would, uh, down to verse 15. It says, speaking of Paul, and it says, And on the Sabbath we came out of the city by the riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women, which restored thither. Verse 14, And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, 
of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God and heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended to the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, I do thank you again for the day and this time we can be together. And Lord, I just pray as we look at your word this morning that you would open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, I just pray in the next few moments you would settle my heart. Lord, give me exactly what you have for me to speak. Lord, I, I pray as I read about in Isaiah chapter 6, Lord, when we look at your word, Lord, and as we lift our, our hearts to you this morning, God, we say as the angels said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Thank you, God, for the opportunity we have to learn a little bit more today about your love for us as people. Forgive us where we fail you. Thank you so much for Jesus. In that beautiful name we pray. Amen. And looking at this morning, and like I said, I had to kind of give you that little intro, okay, just to get you. I'm a history guy. I like that stuff. So we're looking at the idea of how Jesus loves broken people and how Jesus loves people that are broken. And we see here, first off, we see Lydia. And when I think of Lydia, I see this. Jesus loves, number one, the incomplete. Jesus loves the incomplete. And, and let's look at what we see about Lydia here. She's obviously, if you look in verses 13 and 14, she's religious. Look what it says in verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we went out by the city, by the riverside, where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. So when we see Lydia, what we know about her is that she's obviously religious. She's moral. And she has done very well for herself, as it talks about. Uh, she's from Thyatira, which is a major city. Uh, if you've been coming to Sunday school, we're going to very soon get to the church at Thyatira. We're going to talk about that. But Thyatira was a massive port city in the world. And, and she's here in Philippi. To kind of give you an idea of the understanding, you say Thyatira, Philippi, don't mean anything to me. Think about like uh, New York and London, that type of city, that type of atmosphere. And she was very successful in her garment industry, the things that she was doing. And when you look at this, um, this idea of this with her, you got a lady that's very successful. I mean, she's successful in her business. She's successful financially. She's successful in different things. And she's very religious. She's very moral. But may I stop to tell you for a, sec for a second, those that are rich, those that are wealthy, those that are successful, and those that are moral still need Jesus too. Remember what did Jesus say? It's harder for what? Can we go through the eye of a needle? It's for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Why? Because they're incomplete. There's still that hole that only Christ can fill. Every person in this world has a place in their soul that only the Holy Spirit can fill, that Christ can fill. And when you look at this woman, she's religious. But I dare say she's religious but lost. She's moral. She does things that are right. She's successful. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with being successful. I kind of like being successful in life. Uh, by the way, you want to ever read about being successful? It's only mentioned one time in Scripture. It's Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. So really think about what's important to God when we think about what is successful. Uh, but, but back to Lydia and understanding her. I mean, you look at her. She's at, a, she's at a ladies' Bible study by the river. I mean, they're probably sitting there, you know, listening to some Priscilla Shire. I mean, they're just going on. I mean, they're growing in Christ. I mean, these ladies are sitting there, and, and they're growing, and she's there, and she's religious, and she's learning, but she's incomplete. But missing. We would look at Lydia and say, what a great churchgoer. 
what a great church member. I mean, she's successful. She probably gives. She probably sacrifices, probably serves, probably does all these things. But there's something from Lydia. She's religious, but lost. And she needs Christ. And so can you imagine Paul kind of rolling up here into this ladies' Bible study that's going on? And, and you got someone that absolutely wants to be moral, wants to be right, wants to do these things. And she's very conservative here, like I said. And when you look at this, and, and you can kind of see here, so they're kind of all kind of talking and feeding each other spiritually. But it says in, in verse um, number 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. When you look at that part saying the heart who the Lord opened, when I look at this, I see a woman that basically she comes up to Paul and she says, guess who opened my eyes? Guess who opened my heart? Christ did. And she says, Christ has opened my heart. So I want to trust Christ. I want to follow Christ. And as we see here, she wanted to, to be saved and she didn't want to just be religious anymore. Because when I think about Lydia, I think about honestly, a lot of people in churches today. I think about a lot of people that are moral, but lost. People that are religious, and by the way, some people are religious about being religious, if you know what I mean. No, I'm going to be at church today. I'm going to read my Bible. We are going to pray before the meal. But we're just religious about the traditions. We're just religious about it. Because remember, and I know I go back to this verse a lot, you can be religious, you can do the acts, you can do the works, but it, Jesus says, many will say to me that day, many. And, and never forget that word, many. Let's say few. We'll say to me that, Lord, Lord, have we not done? And they start listing all the things that they've done. He says, I don't know you. Can I encourage you today that your morality is not going to validate heaven for you? That you going to church is not going to help you in your salvation. Going to church doesn't make you any more of a Christian if you go stand in your garage and turn you into a Cadillac. It, it, you know, it's, it's not the geography part of it. Now, all that helps, but I dare say that some of us have deceived ourselves, as it talks about in James, being not being doers of the word, but just hearers. Because we feel like we come to church, and we feel like we sing the songs, and we do these things, but there's never been a time in our life where we've opened our heart to Christ and laid out our heart to him and repented and trusted him as our Savior. And because of that, we're incomplete, and we're going to go to hell by sitting on a church pew. I tell you, one of my biggest burdens is not to fill the church of God up with people every Sunday, but is that when people come to church and leave, that they know Christ as their Savior. Because the Bible says, what is your life? What is it? It's a vapor what that appears for a little time and vanisheth away. We've heard about people this week that even have died tragically. They didn't plan on it. This wasn't their week in their eyes. But they have no more opportunity now to get saved. If they knew Christ, great, they're in heaven. Well, if they don't know Christ, they're crying out to a God that does not hear them. Because now they're spiritually dead and separated from God for eternity. May I encourage you to say, Phil, you're trying to get me to doubt my salvation. No, 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 I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. I want you to know your salvation down a mile deep. That it's got nothing to do with you and your works. It's got everything to do with Christ. It's not having a knowledge of Christ. It's having a relationship with Christ. I think there's a lot of people that are really trusted in mom and dad's salvation. And it's real easy to blend because you've been in church. They've been in church. Everybody's in church. And you ever look at somebody and say, oh, they, they, they probably, what do you say? They, they're, they're probably a Christian because they go to church. 
you're a good guy. That's not what Jesus teaches. Let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works and what glorify your Father. The word Christian, as it talks about, is called first in Antioch, is because their lives reflected what Christ had transformed inside of here. See, Lydia had up to this point conformed to what a Christian did. But after she heard the words of Paul, by the Holy Spirit, she was transformed into a child of God. May I encourage you, don't just conform to what a Christian looks like. Be a child of God for real. I know that people, you think about this, and I, I know I'm taking a moment here. Because a lot of times we think about people getting saved, we think about coming out of all these different places in life. But I've met people before in my life that said, you know what, I probably need to get saved. I don't know for sure I'm saved, but I don't know what people would say because I'm a deacon. I've heard people say, well, I'm the pastor. I'm the so-and-so. Can I just encourage you with something today? I don't care how long you've been going to church. Don't die and go to heaven for what anybody thinks of you or doesn't think of you. It's not enough to be moral. Lydia was incomplete. She was incomplete, and she comes to him and says in verse 15, And when she was baptized in her household in Basada, saying, If ye have judged me faithful, Lord, come into my house. And she accompanied us. And so we see how we see how Jesus loves broken people, and she was broken because she's incomplete. And may I encourage you today, don't leave here today incomplete. Don't leave here today being religious. Don't leave here today being Christian-like when you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't leave here today like that. And so we see her in her life, and, and maybe some of you are here that today. You say, Phil, maybe I got saved. I don't know. Some, how many of you have been going to church pretty much for what you know all your life? All right. All right, pretty much you like Phil, born, nursery, all the way up. You know, like, so do it again. How, how many of you have been going to church pretty much all your life? Okay. All right. Now, I'm going to guess you grew up in a good, good home, Christian home, church, all that stuff. But there was a point, if you're a believer, that you had to get over your morality. You had to get over your good works. And I want to tell you, one of the things that I pray about and prayed about and prayed about as a father to my four children was this. God, don't let my children grow up and know about Jesus and leave my home and die without Jesus. Can I tell you, there is no greater fear. Phil, Phil, we shouldn't fear. Okay. My concern, okay? My greatest concern in life is not that my children will not be successful. My greatest concern in life is not that my children will marry the wrong person or my children will go through a divorce or go through some type of addictions and all that's terrible. That's not that. My, my greatest fear is not one that I pray, and I know some of you in this room have experienced this, is not that one of my children will die before me and I ask God if he would be merciful to me never to allow me to do that. But my greatest fear in all of my life is this, is for just one of my children know about Jesus and never be saved and die and go to hell. There's nothing greater. And mom and dad, when you live and breach and breathe in your kids that it's all about this life, you're taking a danger of that becoming your reality. It's more important to see your children saved, to see your children successful. Now you're saying, but here's the great thing. It doesn't have to be one or the other, and a lot of times we relate it to that. If they are a believer, then they're going to struggle in life. But we don't have to, it's not either or in that situation. But we see here that Lydia was incomplete. She was incomplete like that. Secondly, we see this. Not only Jesus loves the incomplete, but Jesus loves those in bondage. Let's look down in verse number 16. So Lydia's got saved. She's like, hey, come to my house. 
I want you to come to my house. And look what happens in verse 16. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of deviation met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying or fortune telling. It says in verse 17, the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, these men are servants of the most high God, which show us unto the way of salvation. And, did, and she did this many days. But Paul being grieved, or here's a great word, annoyed is basically what he was, turned and said unto the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of the and he came out the same hour. And when her master saw the hope of their gains were gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them out into the marketplace and to the rulers. So first we see Lydia. We see how Jesus loves the incomplete. But we also see how Jesus loves those in bondage. And we're going to look at the damsel here, the one that's possessed. And I know for a lot of people, this passage is a little confusing. I've had people debate me say, Phil, she didn't get saved. I don't see anything here about trusting the Lord. I, I don't see anything here about this. Well, if I can, and I didn't put it on the screen, forgive me for that. But over in the book of Matthew, chapter number 12, there's some scripture, some thoughts, that's truth that's taught about someone that in these Bible days when they were possessed and how that when they were possessed left them, how truly there is a faith and trust and a conversion in Christ. In Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse number 43 through 45, uh, the Bible says this. It says, in, it says, when this unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and, take, and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell in. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. You're saying, okay, Phil, what does that mean? In understanding this, the reason I believe that this damsel who was possessed was saved is because as jesus is teaching here and uses the word house meaning body and soul and spirit what it's talking about is this is that whenever that spirit is cast out whenever it's removed that something has to come in and take its place and if you noticed in the scripture what it says there in matthew 12 that if the holy spirit of salvation doesn't happen what happens not only does that demonic spirit come back but it comes back with friends and it's worse it's almost worse to have it. And so what I see here, by the way, the maniac of Gadara, as we, we study, we know there's a true conversion. Why? Because it doesn't say, I believe on you, the Lord Jesus Christ, because I believe it happened in his heart. Because whenever the demons were cast out of him, where do you find him? Sitting at Jesus' feet, peaceful, and in his right mind. And when we see this, I kind of I laugh a little bit when I read this particular passage, not because the girl's possessed. But I like how Paul is human so it's you know, like for like three days they're walking around and this demon possessed girl is kind of just heckling them the whole time just heckling them heckling them heckling them and finally paul it says being grieved and that's a wonderful word that you have as a parent every day of your life turns around and is annoyed and basically says demon come out now i'm not telling you to go home today look at your children or your grandchildren after they annoy you and say demon come out you you you're like, nope, you said it. I'm going to name that and claim that right there, Phil. That is my life verse. Where is that at right there? That's not what I'm saying. But I like how Paul, but I like how Paul doesn't turn to her and say, come out of her. He says, 
in the name of Jesus Christ. Because we want the demons to leave. And we want Christ to enter. This woman who's been under bondage, who's been controlled by these evil spirits, for Jesus to release her out of her bondage and to bring the peace with God in her life that she is now can be at peace in her heart and peace in her life. And, and when I see this and understanding the teaching here is this, is back in Matthews it talked about is this, that if a person is emptied of that, Jesus says, and nothing comes inside, it's going to be worse than it was to begin with. And can I just associate that a little bit? There's people probably even in this room that if you've been controlled by things in your life, I'm not necessarily talking about how many of us have been demon-possessed. I'm, you know, I'm not saying that. We've had things in our life that we've been addicted to. We've had things in our life that's controlled us. And by the way, that doesn't have to be drugs and alcohol. The Bible says for the love of money, the desire, the pursuit of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money. It says the love of it. Maybe people in this room, your whole life has been chasing money, chasing money, chasing money. But can I tell you, there's nothing more freeing when Jesus lives inside of you to know that he is what I chase. He is what I go for. He is the prize. He is the high calling in Christ Jesus. It's all about him. It's not about me. And when I love Jesus the way I'm supposed to love me, love him, you know what? He takes care of everything else. That's why it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? And all these other things. What's the other things? Life. Shall be what? Added or taken care of for you. I think a lot of believers, by the way, don't live in the Matthew 6, 33 life. We're not seeking him. And we're seeking so many other things. And we're in bondage. You're not here today. You're not demon-possessed. I mean, I, like I asked you earlier, how many of you grew up in church all your life? Raise your hand. I'm not going to ask, how many of you have been demon-possessed? You know, a slave girl, you're not going to be that. You know, I'm not going to ask you that. Just in case there's someone here going, well, thanks, Phil. Thanks for calling me out on that. I dare say many of us in life have had things to which we gave ourselves to that controlled us. And, and by the way, still call out to us. Just because Christ has given the victory, if that's why we got to what? I press toward the mark. I got to keep going forward because if I stay where I'm at, I'm going to get drawn back. Remember in the Christian life, there is no neutral. You're either going forward or you're going in reverse. You're either going back to the world or you're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And Jesus loves those in bondage. And, and when you see this girl here, and I think about her, and I think about how much she's probably been taken advantage of and how she's been abused. You know, I think about that, and, and you're here in your life. And, and can I tell you something? Allow your testimony to be a testimony in the grace and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever let your testimony of your past be glorifying Satan himself. Don't ever let it be that way. Can I tell you, I am so thankful today for um, what, God, what God saved me out of. I'm so thankful what God saved me from. See, some of us that grew up in church all our life, we have no idea what that means. I mean, we had to have permission to eat three pieces of candy. You know, we had to have permission to stay up at 1030 at night. I'd have permission in my life to drink two glasses of Kool-Aid. You know, I mean, I mean, we, we, we had a lot of things on our life. And this doesn't make sense to us. But there's also a group of people in here that 
and believers and people that you'll see as you meet out there. They know exactly what it means. They would love <laughs> to be saved out of a moral life because you've been saved out of things that just controlled your life. Can I be honest with you? The dark places of alcohol, drugs, and all kinds of things that you could go down through. But can I tell you that fear is a pretty dark place too? Depression is a pretty dark place. And you might be sitting in this room, clean, sober, whatever, but you're in a prison because of your fear, because of your anxiety. That's why I love the song that we're singing this month, of course. All your anxiety, all your care. Bring to the mercy seat and do what we struggle with doing. Leave it there. And there's people that are in prison of darkness of many things in their life that have been controlling them. And can I tell you today, if you're here like that and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, can I tell you Jesus loves you? And he doesn't want you to be in bondage anymore. And he wants to do for you what nothing else can do. But I do want to take a moment to say this. If you're saved and you've given yourself back to those things that have put you in bondage, that's not where he intended you to be. Well, I, I can't go back because God will be mad at me. Remember the prodigal son? He was a son before he left, by the way. I know we can say it's salvation. I get it. I mean, if you want to apply salvation. He was a son before he left his father, and he was a son when he returned to his father. And I love how it says he was a running savior. He ran to his son. But those things in your life that have just control you, if you'll come back to Christ, not will you be born again because you're already saved. You're already sealed to the uttermost, as it talks about in Scripture. But you can come back to that fellowship and that love of Christ that, you might, that you're probably not enjoying right now. Let me ask you this. Do you, do you have more happiness when your life is right with God or when you're away from God? <laughs> I have a lot more happiness when I'm right with God. Now, I have pleasure in sin for a season. Don't get me wrong. It'd be nice if sin tasted like cauliflower. Now, I know there's three people in the room that just got really offended by me saying that. <laughs> Okay? But there's pleasure in it. But it's not lasting. It's not lasting. I want you to know that Jesus loves you. And he loves you just as you are. But he loves you enough to let, not let you stay where you are. But he wants to bring you to the place where he desires you to be. To be free. To no longer be a slave to sin. That chain, he wants to break that for you. To have a relationship. He wants to be the God of your life. If you'll just open your heart to him and receive his gift of salvation. And if you're here and you are saved, but you do feel in bondage of your life, he's still saying, hey, that chain's broken. I've already done that. Kind of like we talked about a few weeks ago. He's like, hey, let's just rise up. I'm not done with you yet. Let's keep going as we see through there. And then thirdly, we see this. Is that Jesus loves those who hate him. I tell you, this is one right here that I struggle with. I know you can't imagine this, but there's probably somebody in this life that doesn't like me. I know you probably can't imagine that. Man, I might have a whole lot more. You guys ain't laughing or anything right now. It's like, hey, we got a list, Phil. We got a club. We got a jacket. You know, okay, we're good. But Jesus loves even those that hate him. I didn't put it on the screen back there. Those that are lost, Jesus loves those that hate you. Remember what he said? The world hates you. Because it hated me first. And when we see this passage here, what has happened uh, in verses 20 through 26, 
as we're not going to take time to read it right now. But what happens is because he's healed this demon-possessed girl, the, the other rulers are like, they've lost money now. They don't care about the girl. By the way, there's a little big message right there in that. The ones that throw you really don't care about you. But we ain't going to go there today. And they said, because we're not profiting from your bondage, we're going to take Paul and we're going to take Silas and we're going to throw him in jail. And they don't just throw him in jail. They said they beat him. And in fact, in one of the verses here that we're reading a little bit, it says they turned them over to the jailkeeper. Now, we read through that and you run right through that. Like, that doesn't sound big. Can I, can I tell you just, and this is a history nerd in me, forgive me, but I think it's important to know. In the city of Philippi, in this Philippian jailer that we need to understand, when the rulers and the courts turned someone over to the jailer, the jailer determined how bad your punishment and your torture was. It was up to the jailer. The jailer obviously hated Paul and Simon. And, and we'll look in verse 23. It says, and when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging what the jailer to keep them safely. Let, let me kind of explain this just for a little bit. They were cast not only into the, into the prison, but they were cast into the inner part of the prison. And historians say in studying the, the prisons and the city, the city of Philippi was this, is that it wasn't the outside. It was in a place where there was no light unless you brought some type of torch or something. But the inner part of the prison, and forgive me, for, but I want you to understand this, Paul and Silas were put under where the normal prisoners are. It's not just dark. Because of the sanitary things, that's where all the waste came. So Paul and Silas are not just in a dark place. They're in a horrible place. And that jailer says, I hate what you say so much. I'm going to make you sit here and stand in waste. And it goes on to say what else about it. And it goes on and talks about in verse 24, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the, verse 24, into the inner prison and made their feet fast and the stocks. And then you need to understand something about that. The stocks in those days were not meant for to be a relaxing thing for you. It was to twist your body in certain ways that your body wasn't meant to twist. So Paul and Silas are sitting in darkness and sitting in filth. And they're sitting there all stocked up and chained up like this all because the jailer hated them. It was his prerogative. By the way, the Philippian jailer, a lot of jailers, the head of the jailers that time, a lot of them were ex-Roman officers who, because of retirement, it was a gift to get to inflict pain. Because you, you got to remember, Rome was not handing out daisies and stickers to people, okay? Rome was a pretty horrible situ civilization when they conquered people. I mean, they would burn cities. They would crucify people to the wall so others that come by would never even think about messing with Rome. So you have one of these Romans, retired Roman uh, guys like this, and look what he's doing to them and understanding. See, we think Paul and Silas is sitting there in uh, what we call jail today, sitting there with their feet up, you know, watching TV and, you know, drinking lemonade. They ain't doing that. And it says, as they're sitting there, what happens in verse number 26? Oh, let's, let's do verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. 
Then he, then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I tell you, that's an awesome part of Scripture. Because Jesus loves those that hate him. But Jesus also loves those that hate you. Imagine this, they're, they're singing, they're praising, earthquake happens, the doors come open, and in those days, if a prisoner escaped, the jailer in charge was, died. So the earthquake happens, the doors fling open, and what happens then? The, the, the guy wakes up, the Philippian jailer, he sees him gone, he's like, well, he, he can't see anything, he thinks they're gone because it's open, he draws his sword, and by the way, don't miss not just the love of Jesus, for those that hate God, but Paul's love for those that hate God. Paul screamed out, hey, hey, don't do it. We're all here. Don't kill yourself. Because I truly believe this. Paul knew if that guy took his life, he would spend eternity in hell. The same guy that put him in outer darkness, put him in human waste, and tortured and contorted his body in such a way. Paul says, if Jesus loves you, then I ought to too. Boy, we could live there for a moment, couldn't we? Be careful when you think there's only certain people that need Jesus. Be careful when you feel like the judge of people that are good enough to come to Jesus. There is more grace in Christ than there ever will be sin in us. There is more forgiveness in Jesus than there ever will be condemnation in you or I. And don't get me wrong, I think if you looked at this situation, all of us would naturally not really like the Philippian jailer. But he sees, he calls for a light. That tells you how dark it is. He runs in there and he falls down and says, what must I do to be saved? And I love Paul doesn't say, well, if you knock these shackles off real quick, buddy, we have a conversation. Hey, get me out of this prison and get up here right here. And then, then I'll tell you, no, I love Paul without hesitation. Looks at him and says, what? Verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. See, can, can I just take this for a moment? I know our time's about gone. I love how Paul didn't say, if you'll just clean up this, this, and this, God will love you. So many of us have this idea that if we... If we could just get a little bit better, God loves the future version of me, the better version of me. No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet enemies of Christ, he died for us. And if that's Christ's heart, man, it ought to be my heart. There ought not be a single soul that walks through these doors of this church that is not welcome. Because he loves them just as much as he loves me. There is no one that can walk through these doors that has so much sin that they're unsavable because if they're unsavable, then he's not God. Because he's a God that can do the impossible. I wonder how many of us have seen God save some people. Because let's just be honest, we didn't think. <laughs> you look and say, that had to be a God thing. You know, you hear about the kid that grew up, you hear about the preacher kid, you know, that grows up, hey, I got saved, I want to get better. Like, oh, that's good, we kind of expected that. But you ever hear about people putting faith and trust in Christ and you're like, they got saved. They got saved. Can I tell you, the same God that saves the churchgoer is the same God that can save the person that hates him. I ain't going to jump on this long because I know some of y'all really like to know what I think about this whole Kanye West thing. 
Some of you are like, what's a con- Okay, you don't get it. It's okay. <laughs> Is that what I put on? some? No, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Phil, what do you think about that? I don't know his heart. Only Christ does. By the way, I'm called to be a worshiper, not a judge. Just throwing that out. I'm just called to be a worshiper. But if God can save a Saul that killed men, women, and children, why can't he save a rapper? I mean, he's either God or he's not. You know what that tells me? God can do anything but fail. But I also tell myself this, I limit myself because I think those that hate God don't deserve God. And you know what, I'm right. But I don't deserve him either. I don't. And, and when I see him and I see this passage, I see the love that Paul has. And I see how he tells him how to be saved. And by the way, he didn't just get saved. His house got saved. That means probably that jailer probably had children, maybe grandchildren. They're going to grow up a certain way. And it's really awesome to see how God changed that direction of that family to go a different direction. And you know why we ought to pray for those people in our lives that we feel like there's no way they're going to be saved because God, maybe by saving them, might just totally change the direction of that whole family. My dad is a first-generation Christian. My grandparents, all my grandparents made deathbed confessions, basically. Or salvations, if you will. I know how other relatives in my family have. You want to know why it's so awesome that God saved Danny Rogers? Because <laughs> where would I be without that? Some of you, I know you don't get that because everybody in your family has been saved as long, as far back as you can remember. But can I also tell you, if you're a first-generation Christian and God saved you out of whatever, you want to tell you the importance of following Christ is because there's going to be those that come up behind you that don't need to follow after the sin, that don't need to follow after that, don't need to follow after the bondage, don't need to follow after just being a good person. They need to follow after Christ. Because God loves all of us. And by the way, we're all broken. We're all broken. And I end with this thought. And I kind of said it just a second ago. Jesus loves the incomplete. Jesus loves those in bondage. Jesus loves those that hate him. But can I tell you this? Jesus also loves those that are truly worshipers of him. Now, remember everything that's happened to Paul and Silas. And I just want to read these verses again. It says in verse 22, And the multitude rose up together against them, Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison and charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. You say, Phil, we've already talked about that. Yeah, but look at verse 25. And at midnight, the darkest time of the night, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. Not until they started worshiping God did God deliver them. It wasn't an earthquake and then get freedom and then praise God from whom all blessings flow. It was while sitting in the waste. It was while sitting in the darkness. It was while sitting in the shackles. That Paul and Silas says, Lord, give us. Lord, take us away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And can I tell to some of you in here, you know Christ as your Savior. And the only thing you see in life is your shackles and your darkness and your circumstances. And you will never see the light of deliverance in your life because you will never get to the place where you praise him in the darkness. Until you can praise Christ in the darkness, you'll never see the light of peace.
won't happen. Because your life will be consumed with the shackles. Your life will be consumed with the guilt. Your life will be consumed with the circumstances. And when I see these guys, they prayed. I personally don't think, this is philology, I can't give you a verse. I don't think they were praying, God deliver us out of here, God deliver us out of here, God deliver us out of here. I guarantee they were praying for God to be glorified, whether it be by life or by death. For the other believers in Philippi that had heard, they were probably praying for Lydia, probably praying for that damsel, the one that was possessed, probably praying for a lot of people. By the way, how much of your prayer life is you and your family? If I had to deduct things that personally touch you, how much of a prayer life would you even have? But it says when they sang praises to God, they didn't care, by the way, who heard. Then the earthquake happened. Then God opened the door. I want to encourage you today. Everyone that walks in this room today is either a judge or a worshiper. I know I mentioned in Sunday school a couple weeks ago. You know what I say? What do you mean? Here's the judge. Well, music was all right today. Okay, things okay. I give the music a seven. Wasn't my favorite. I mean, it wasn't the worst. I mean, hey, we're gonna give it a seven. All right, fellowship time. I mean, it was pretty good. I got to talk to some people. That person didn't shake my hand. Well, I'll give it an eight. That wasn't bad. All right, now the temperature in the auditorium. Man, I mean, if it's any hotter, I mean, I just don't know if there's any cold. You know, I'm just saying what's going on in here, but we ain't gonna say it. Okay, I'm just saying. Giving a the sermon today, well, it's pretty good. Phil's just way too long. Or whatever you want to say, it wasn't the best today to joke. I give the sermon an eight. And you're a worshiper. You don't really care about time. You don't really care about a quality of a song. And you don't get your feelings hurt when people do or don't talk to you. Because it ain't about you. I love him and I want to praise him. And that's what it's all about. And let me ask you this morning, are you a judge or a worshiper? Which one are you? Because if you're a judge, can I just be honest with you? You're the one in bondage. And you'll be there until you can do like Paul and Silas and say, we're just going to worship you in the darkest time of our life. Because it ain't about us, it's about Christ. Thank God that Jesus loves broken people. Let's stand together. Father, thank you so much.